Hello there, this is Wilbury Steve. And Bertie Wilbury. And you're listening to the Fab Four Free For All. I thought the show was called Ringo. And welcome to another stimulating, Ooh. interesting edition of Fab Four Free For All. New adjectives. New adjectives today. We're trying for something new and exciting. Oh, damn. I put exciting back again. <laughs> oh, and we are so not. Should use that. Anyway, the show is called Fab Four Free for All. I'm Tony Chiguardo, your moderator for today's show, and joining me as always on our weekly podcast where we talk about the Beatles, solo Beatles, and related situations are Mitch Axelrod. That'd be you, and, and Rob Leonard, and that'd be you. And I'm. Oh, I already said who I am. You're Tony Chiguardo, and still no one cares. Anyway, no. Today's topic... Nancy Sinatra. What? Nancy she, she Sinatra? She covered Day Tripper and Run for Your Life. No, these boots are made for walking. <laughs> oh. oh. Mitch wow. always with the catchy Wow. Phrase. That was just a little frightening, Mitch. Anyway. I know. The clue is the word boots, short in uh, music jargon for bootlegs. Yes. Bootlegs? What's a bootleg? <laughs> I have no idea what a bootleg is. What's a bootleg, Uncle Tony? (laughs) Anyway. Oh, back in my time. (laughs) Back in my time, son. Bootlegs. The whole situation with the uh, bootleg recordings. Bootleg recordings, believe it or not, it's crazy. Go back to the opera. Yes. Wow. There were guys that would literally go up in the rafters and set up reel-to-reel recorders and microphones and make bootleg recordings of the current operas of the day. But... Unfortunately, all you heard was. It's terrible. I'm sorry. I like That's opera. That's what they thought of the opera too. <laughs> there you go. Well, back then it was the thing to listen to. The hip Absolutely, man. That, right. opera. that was top man, 40. You heard Pagliacci do. <laughs> yeah, like, can you see a bunch of underground traders meeting at conventions? <laughs> yeah. I got Pagliacci, man. I got Carmen. I'll meet you up on room 622. <laughs> <laughs> Sell you a copy of Carmen. And there won't man. be any AC on in the room. <laughs> yeah, and there'll be 17 people in there and all the things will be on the beds. We're, we're getting inside track here. We'll have to fill people in on what that's about later. The Beatles were one of the most commonly bootlegged artists. Why don't Bo- you explain what a bootleg is? Bootlegs are unauthorized releases of recordings of popular artists. They are not to be confused with counterfeits. When you counterfeit something, what you, it means is that you've taken a released album, Thriller, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, Meat Loaf, Bat Out of Hell, Beatles, Abbey Road. These were the big ones. And you've made an illegal pressing of that. Well, that's a pirate. There's that's a, a pirate. I'm, pirate. I'm so sorry. You're absolutely correct. The pirate is when you take Thriller, Pre- Rumors, and you, you make a bad copy of it. You're absolutely right. And that's usually, a pirate. Usually it's happened more with cassette in the cassette market yeah. than the LP Well, market. but the vinyls, I'll tell you, those Bat Out of Hells were, were rampant, yeah. as were the Abbey Roads. And, and Let It Be. And Let It Be. And yeah. uh, VJ. Introducing, introducing the, Beatles. the Beatles. Yeah. Those were pirates. And then yeah. the counterfeit is when you Counter- take right. something that's been released, and what you do with it, you might add other things yeah. to it. Create a new compilation. You, you create a new album. Yeah. And you play, so you go to the store and say, geez, what's this? I've never heard of this. Yeah. And, and that is that is a counterfeit. That was very commonly done with artists like, um, I don't know, Simon and Garfunkel, the Tom and Jerry stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the pre-Simon and Garfunkels were very often counterfeited. They were made into whole new uh, presentations. Yeah. But... You know, in recent years, with all the legal changes, and especially back in the 90s, 
what happened was bootlegs essentially got bunched in with counterfeits yes. and pirates. Yes. And it became this very uh, gray, you know. Very gray. And what ended up happening was. European, too. Yeah. And, and what ended up happening was that bootlegs and bootleg recordings, which for a very long period of time in the 80s into the 90s, were essentially legal. There was a legal loophole that was allowing them to be manufactured in Europe. Some of the European countries, I should stress where you could have gotten away with creating new bootleg titles and releasing them on CD. And usually it had to be uh, live recordings. And More than 20 years old. Yeah. There yeah. was a way around it, which I believe it's been fixed since. It has been fixed since. It was fixed when they closed the gap agreement. And essentially, I think it was uh, under the Clinton administration that there were some changes made. There was pressure put on a lot artists. Because you know what happened? All of a sudden, you... You go to the store when there were still record stores, and they would be legally selling them. Yes. Because yeah. legally, it was a considered a legal import. It was an import, and it actually had the country's stamps of right. export on them. There were absolutely ways around and being able they to sell also the material. Did, which I found very interesting was a lot of these companies, which were legitimate in the, you know, the Their company respective of countries. origin, yeah. they would take the money and start bank accounts. Yes. For the artist. And yes. they'd say, well, we have the money for you. And the artist couldn't take the money because technically they're signed to whatever label they're yes. signed to. Yes. And yeah. that's where the problem became. Because this was the yeah. first time they were actually paying royalties, whatever, however small it, it, large it was. It was actually prepaying the royalties. And interestingly enough, the point structure on those royalties were higher than the, the actual labels. Well, yeah. So if that, Columbia that, Records, for instance, was giving Bruce Springsteen six points on a, an album, meaning... When it came down to brass tacks and all of the numbers were crunched, right. Bruce got 6%, let's say. When it came to the bootleg recordings, Bruce was maybe getting 8 right. or money was being put in escrow for Bruce Springsteen. Many artists did go get that money. Many artists did actually pursue that money. It was when the record label started to put the screws on the artist to not go get that money, basically by saying... Oh, sure, we'll help you go get that money, but we may be a little bit lax about promoting your next album right. if you don't help us put the screws on the bootleg labels. Yeah, and it was also interesting because when CDs first started, um, when we were growing up, you, you go to the story by an import. You know, right. like something like the Beatles Beat, the Beatles Greatest, you know, right. both imports from uh, Germany and, and Holland. Once CDs started, a lot of those imports... Everything sort of became standardized, especially in the Beatles world, but right. in, in other catalogs, too. And when this 90s little thing happened with the bootlegs that were technically legal, it was nice again to actually find imports yes. in stores, because that was like the last time you found them. Yeah. So but we okay. should tell people that don't get confused with what we always say are Dutch imports. Yes, <laughs> we make that joke. Yeah. There really are Dutch imports. Oh, yes. And yeah, yeah. now there are bootlegs. Yeah, so we're, yeah. We're they're, really, of, they're really absolutely. hard Dutch imports. Yeah, there really, yeah, really were Dutch imports that were real. And yeah. But we're also kind of jumping ahead chronologically. Yes, we I hope are, we're not we are jumping that. ahead because. Because we, the CD world was a whole new thing. Originally, these things were. My joke was always record albums that were pressed on old combs. Uh, <laughs> that basically what happened is combs. someone got access to. A, uh, a pressing plant. And mind you, this what we're doing right here is sort of part one in an ongoing series. We are giving the most cursory look at these things in this episode. And in fact, there's a, a focus to our conversation, which I'll get to in a minute. But 
the whole beginnings, it started with Dylan and the Great White Wonder, which was the first bootleg vinyl LP to surface. That was the first time anybody walked into a store and found this recording, this collection of songs they'd never heard of by an artist and went, what the heck is this? Um, if I'm not mistaken, that was also reviewed in Rolling Stone. Reviewed in Rolling Stone magazine. changed a lot of perception of oh, what, yeah. what bootleg was. So, yes. A bootleg was not a is. horrendous what recording. What year was that? That was uh, around, I was going to say late 69. 68, early 69. Somewhere yeah, yeah. So that was the first. Now, where our boys come into the picture. The Beatles had gone and recorded the stuff that would become the Let It Be album eventually. They went in the studio and did those 8 million hours of get back recordings. Now, a couple of things happened. The Nagra reels were the audio reels that were captured for the cameras in the room that the Beatles were in. We should say a Nagra reel is a reel-to-reel, basically, that was hooked up to the camera. The camera to you. So you could have matching audio and video. Mm -hmm. You would sync the audio to the camera. And they ran about 15 minutes or so, and then you'd have to change and flip over to the next reel or flip to the next camera while you changed reels on the one camera. So you had all these hundreds of Nagra reels. Okay. Then you also had a careless John Lennon. (laughs) John Lennon actually took some of the initial recordings, the mix that was done by Glenn Johns of some of the tracks that would become Let It Be, and he passed them along to uh, a station in Toronto, I believe, or someone who worked at a radio station in Toronto, also passing them to folks in Boston, and some things were aired on WBCN radio, and the next thing you know, surfaces a Beatles bootleg, and I believe it was Comeback was one Come of the back. first, and it September was September '69. September of '69, KUM Comeback, and that was the first time that people could walk in a store, look in the racks, and oh my, what is that? What is that? Yeah, I never heard of that. Yeah, so I'm gonna. Should I read this? Tell people what, what you're reading. What we're gonna talk about today, um, among oh. us three lunatics. Is that feeling, that first time that we walked in to somewhere or the um, first time we heard or experienced bootleg recordings? And this will lead to us talking about some of our favorites and some of the revelations and things like that. And then down the road, we'll go into some more detail. But I want to read something. I think this is fun. This is from one of the big bootleg CD labels. was a label called Yellow Dog. Woof. And um, <laughs> Yellow Dog had a number of amazing titles. Um, they did. They were one of the top ones. And it was them, and Swingin' Pig was another one. But in the CD world, someone had released a collection of the Hollywood Bowl concerts, the 64 and 65, as a box set. And it was really the first time we ever had all of the Hollywood Bowl material in one place. And there are liner notes that came with that set. And this is something that I just thought reflected what the average Beatle fan may have gone through. So I'm going to read a part of it, and then um, we'll take it from there. It says, I remember having a copy of an LP handed to me sometime in late 1974. It had already been around for a few years in one form or another, but it was the first time that I had ever been clued into its existence. There they were on the cover, the four lads from Liverpool who had handed me, along with millions of other fans around the world, the key to the universe that was rock and roll. And I was indeed a big fan, or so I thought. I mean, I'd never seen this album before. What was going on? I am unfortunately not of the age to have experienced the tidal wave of Beatlemania firsthand. 
I'd seen Hard Day's Night, along with all the other film projects which the Beatles had been involved in, and though I had not fully digested every note of the White Album, I spent most of my youth taking in all things Beatle. Of course, I was also keenly aware of the pop music of the day. The songs were tested when played live. Before the days of synthesizers, artists had to pull it off themselves or the band wouldn't last. The big disappointment I had suffered as a second-generation Beatle fan was not to have had the chance to see or hear the most important band in rock and roll live. Fact of the matter was that they weren't even allowed to rebroadcast the group's Ed Sullivan appearances. So aside from the overdubbed live segment in Hard Day's Night, I'd never gotten to hear them play their songs without the support of the studio. I mean, the Beatles never put out a live album, right? Or did they? What was going on here? This had a black and white cover, and it said, Back in 64 at the Hollywood Bowl. It was on a label called Berkeley, according to the cover, and the actual label that adorned the record offered precious little additional information. I questioned the misspellings in the song title and why the writing on the spine wasn't quite centered. I put the blank-labeled glob of plastic on my turntable, and there they were. Announcer called them out, and suddenly, no, this couldn't be. Yes, it could. It was them, all right. Not some incredible simulation, but the Beatles live. So that's just a quick, it goes on, but it's... Uh, I have that one. We all have that Well, one. no, there's, well, there's one in Mitch's hand right now, which you can't see right now because we're Different. on the radio. We're going we're gonna to actually put some photos up on the website. But the, so people the one can that ones. you just talked about, that's the one I have. That was the Berkeley one. Yeah. You have a variation on that. Is that a T-A-K-R-L on the back? Let's see. No, no it's not. The amazing corny phone <laughs> record label. Uh, this yeah. is even bootleg of a bootleg of a bootleg. Yes. But these yeah. were these were the first. I mean, you can't see this, but uh, and we'll talk a little more about this again. We're talking about the first time we, as Beatle fans, experienced a bootleg, record, a bootleg, bootleg recording. Yeah. yeah. The first time I ever experienced it, I went into a record store called. It was either Rocket Records or Gorilla Records on Long Island. They changed. You know, my recollection is not there at the moment of which it's first, but I walked in and for three ninety nine, sealed was this album actually uh, no, actually it was Come Back, but Come Back and Beatles Hollywood Bowl. And I bought them both, what was I, ten, eleven? And I said, The Beatles never did this, just like we said. Yeah. And I thought the Beatles had a live album in Toronto. I thought Hollywood Bowl finally came out. Because this is, yeah. you know, we're talking four or five years before Hollywood Bowl came out legitimately on Capitol, right. which also may have forced them to put it out on. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sure it helped to force their hand. Yeah. Without a doubt. But these covers, when you got them home, as you said, the blank label, you got these covers home, most of them, and they were really cheap covers and the label was totally blank. So I had fun writing my own titles and stuff and putting it, I think I put it on Pear Records, so I didn't want to piss off Apple. Um, That's funny. Oh, I'm not kidding. I, I wrote them out. Even but, back then you were worried about Apple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, Tony mentioned it. You know, falling in love instead of if I fell right. was on the cover. And weird, different colors and... It was just the, the yeah. most odd feeling. Very often, you know, the, the covers were one of two things. You either had an eight and a half by 11 Xerox sheet of paper that someone glued onto the front cover. Yep. You got ones that were glued. Mine were never glued. Glued on. Or sometimes they just floated in the shrink wrap. Yeah. The shrink wrap. I was always amazed at yeah. the, the, the fact that they couldn't afford glue. Right. <laughs> Mitch has taken out a copy of uh, what was called the Beatles Live Concert at Whiskey Flats, which there was no such venue as Whiskey Flats. It Correct. said it was in Atlanta. 
which was completely inaccurate. They did play Atlanta. There is a nice boot that has come out of Atlanta because yeah. they were actually able to hear themselves and they had a, a great sound system. But Whiskey Flats was Philly, right? Your Philadelphia yes, Town Hall. Was. Yeah. Again, though, you got this home and I put this on and I'm listening to live and it wasn't the same live concert as Hollywood Bowl. And you could tell that. You, you could, could definitely tell. So now yeah. you were getting multiple concerts of yeah. the Beatles. And what's great about the Whiskey Flats, it's definitely come out since. Again, we're not oh, talking much about... Much better quality. Yes, yeah. we're not talking about CDs and the 80s, 90s. and We're talking about the initial 70s bootlegs here. But this was the first. If I Fell was the first time you heard them giggling through the whole song. Right. And it was kind of cool because... I said, wow, first I'm getting a live show, a second live show, because I had gotten the Hollywood Bowl, and now I got this Atlanta, <laughs> quote Atlanta, air quotes, and I'm listening to John Lennon giggle his way through, and it was awesome. And you hear in Roll Over Beethoven, you hear George do the You Get Your Mother and Reel and Rock'em, right. which was like, what? You got to hear the Beatles' humor. You got to hear the, you know, well, all right, well, you know, clap your hands, stamp your feet. It's not our place. You know, I mean, well, you I got to hear Paul some of the, the humor. End, yeah, but, you know, you got to hear some of the goofing around. And we will stress that often these were about the same price. Maybe a, sometimes a 50 cheap. cents more or less on either side. Mm, a little cheap. And you had two times. You had the they ones. They were, but more. at the same time, they were about equal to what a regular record is, which changed after a while, which was disappointing. What do you mean by the same as a record was in terms of quality? No, just the price. I mean, when I bought the Hollywood Bowl you mentioned on, uh, I keep calling it Berserkly. That was Berkeley. The, Berkeley. Yeah. That was one of the first ones I ever bought. So, first of all, I'd just gotten Hollywood Bowl, the regular Hollywood Bowl, and someone at school had said to me, well, there's this place, and I don't want to mention it because actually it's still in business, uh, so I won't mention it. And my friend and I took the bus to this place, and I bought the Hollywood Bowl. Now, there's a couple of edits they made on the official release, which always bothered me. You're looking back, it's so small. The part about Paul at the end saying, well, it's Latin art place, stamp your feet, that type of thing. There's a little cutout there. And plus the intro of Ringo, he like rambles on for like 30 seconds, and then he goes, and now here's Ringo. And that whole section's cut out the rambling part. I never understood why. It was, I thought, a fun intro when you listen to it on the bootleg. But that was the first one I ever bought. And actually, the quality, was, that was a pretty good printing there was, and It was a too. nice printing, yeah. I mean, they beat Hollywood Bowl to death, even to the point of, like, they actually put it out as the Beatles live at Shea Stadium. Yes, yeah. And you went and got it home, and you're like, oh, wow, Beatles at Shea. Yeah. And you put it on, you went, this is Hollywood Bowl. And you, I mean, if you were smart, you looked at the track list, right. you would have realized it was a 1964 show, and the Beatles didn't play Shea Stadium in 64. Right. But, I mean, I'm going to just jump back to talking about cover art and stuff like that. You had the two types. You had the Xeroxed cover that was glued to the front of the record. Well, you had three types. I know where you're going to go, and then I'll talk. Uh, well, you, yes, later you got the nice ones. Not but, really. But uh, you also had these large pieces of cardboard that were folded over, maybe 17 by 24 or 17 yeah. by 26 pieces of cardboard that were folded over to make a, a sleeve, like an envelope that you could slip an album in. They came out very quickly. You'd be holding them and the album would just fall out. Would just out. fall out, yeah. And again, they were made of old combs. I mean, God knows where they got the but vinyl. very heavy vinyl. Very heavy. But the, the thing was, too, that later they got creative. What were you going to well, say about not, the other cover possibility? Hang on. Before you even got creative, and I know where you're going to go with that, there was a bootleg for the Beatles in Japan, Five Nights in a, a Judo, Judo Arena. arena. 
And that one came in two different covers. That came in a black and white one. And then it came in a beautiful color sleeve mm-hmm. with the Beatles, the 1964 yeah. Life magazine photo in color. Well, often and it enough, was really nice. Often enough, those color variations actually were imports. Even in bootleg vinyl days, we were actually getting imported bootleg vinyl. Because I got that, um, I think, in 76. Yeah. There were West Coast guys making them. There were East Coast guys making them. There were Midwest guys making them. And there were Europeans making them. The guys that were involved would become labels like Audifon and things like that were already at work. And the thing about the bootlegs that got me was that there were certain things that came up that, you know, guys, you got to remember, fans out there who are listening, this is long before the days of the internet. This was when you had to rely on, you know, like the Coconut Telegraph, as they call it. You had to rely on the fact well, that's that... that's how I found out about my stuff. Exactly. They said, go to this store. Go to this store. And I mean, even to the point where here in the Long Island area where I grew up, there were stores that had a black curtain and behind the little area with what, the black curtain. Is this a video curtain, store that's the X-rated section? Honest to God. There was a store. <laughs> really, Rob? A, I wouldn't know about that. There was a record store that actually had the black curtain. Really? And wow. the, the, I didn't go to the that stack one. of vinyls in the area behind the curtain that the guy looked at you three or four times before letting you walk back there. And you could then flip through these special records. Oh, wow. I didn't. Because mine were on a regular spin rack with every other. Same with mine. Well, that was. Every other one. Really, that was the smarter way to do it because there's plausible deniability there. You could have the store owner just say, oh, I just bought these things from a guy that came in off the street and I put them out in their collection. Well, the the funny thing was about when I first started to buy a bootleg, also there was the imports. Beatles Beat, like I talk about, Beatles Greatest. I have Beatles Greatest, which I bought at Corvettes for three ninety nine. And you're talking about legitimate These are legit. imported and albums actually, that had variations. Beatles Greatest is, was in Holland, a legitimate Dutch import. It has a lot of like little rarities on yep, it. It's, absolutely. it's the only place I've found a yeah. lot of this stuff. And Beatles Beat is something I still want. But everything was sort of together. You had your bootlegs, you had your regular stuff, and then you had your imports. All in the same rack, so right. to speak. I have to tell you, though, we did make an error here. So I'm going to correct it. People are going to write in or call in or whatever they're going to do. They're going to contact us because, truthfully, the first Beatles, I'm not going to say bootleg, but pirate or counterfeit, whichever one you want to say. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the greatest hits. Yes. With um, the four heads, the four, the four little mop, little top. mop top heads yes. came out in yes. 1964. Yes. That it was, was like a... GRC100 was yep. the number of the thing. That really is the first Beatles Counterfeit. That was a counterfeit because it was a new compilation of hits. Absolutely. But people consider that bootleg if they don't know the difference. Yeah. A lot of people tend to say that's the first Beatle bootleg ever. But those were hits all thrown onto a disc. We were talking about that first time that we as fans heard like new music and how mind-blowing it was. I remember when I went to the store and my friend was going to buy Destroyer by Led Zeppelin. A classic bootleg of a live performance. And since come out as a board tape, but this was an audience tape. And my friend was so angry because he's hearing these two girls chatting away. Yeah. Oh, wow, man. What a great show. Oh, my God. I love this. Oh, wow. Okay. That's great. That's that's basically it. The whole thing. What a whole lot of love. (laughs) And my friend Richie was very angry. Only a few years ago, he still had it. He goes, I don't want this. I never listened to it ever since the first time. But it was because him and I went to the store that they had another bootleg because I was going for the Hollywood Bowl thing. But five nights in a judo arena. And you listen to that. And first of all, I'd never seen the video at the time. 
I yeah. didn't know that they had done Yesterday as a band version, which should have been somehow included on Anthology too. but that's something else. Because there is a couple of versions. The West German one was pretty good. And the other problem with the, the Judo Arena one was the pitch was a little bit off, and I didn't have a, a turntable to adjust it. So it's a little bit faster. Now, mind you, they were playing a little bit faster, right? but it was a little bit faster than it should have been. I always thought they were playing slower because when I got my copy, of, I, I was excited to hear it. And if I needed someone is yeah, on there and yeah. stuff we never heard live at all. But I was so disappointed in their performance. They're I, sleeping I, through it. And when you see the video, yep. I think it's more other stuff yeah. through it. But whatever. And Tony, that was your opportunity right there. I call it the Ringo's Gastric Disturbance Show. Oh, well, yeah. yeah and that's all- uh, thank you. That was Indianapolis. Yeah. He mentioned that in Rolling Stone a few years ago, yeah. actually. But I will say it, it was cool to hear all that stuff. But I was so disappointed because I didn't know whether it was a real release or not. Because I got the, right. the color one, and, yeah. and it had a real label, and it, right. I said, wow, they released a live, and I said, oh, please, I hope they didn't really really release this, because it just sounded horrible. Yeah. The quality yeah. was good, but their performance was so bad, I said, please, they've got to release something better than this. It's amazing, because we're hitting a lot on the live material, for obvious reasons, but two things, and when we come back, we'll talk about the... I don't know, I guess you'd say the whole quality control issue in part. And also get into a little bit of the different types of recordings and the fact that there were times when we didn't know what the hell was going on at all. And there were times when the Beatles weren't really the Beatles. That's true, too. So we'll get to some of that when we come back after the break here on Fab Four Free For All, where we're talking about, well, we've got the first in a series where we talk about the bootlegs. Hi, this is Tony Chiguardo of Fab Four Free For All. The guys wanted me to let you know that we will be attending the New York Fest for Beatle fans at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Secaucus, New Jersey on Saturday, March 24th, where we will be recording an episode live during a panel discussion in one of the main rooms. The fest itself is three days, March 23rd through March 25th, and you're going to want to make the scene. Mickey Dolenz is the very special guest. Mickey, of course, of the Monkees, the prefab for as they were often called but it promises to be a fun weekend for all and again we will be there on saturday to say hi and greet you our listeners so we hope you'll make the scene for the fest for beetle fans again the crown plaza hotel secaucus new jersey for further information visit www.thefest.com or call them at 866 the fest between 9 and 5 p.m eastern standard times on weekdays we'll see you there and we're back on Fab Four Free For All. We're talking about the bootleg recordings of the Beatles. The early. The early ones. The early ones. Well, you Not know, the early Beatles, the early bootlegs. Very nice. But there were certain issues that would happen with these issues. Rob brought up the idea of quality control. My world Which is changed. something that they didn't think about, I'm sure. No, they really didn't think about it. I mean, you know, okay, Frank, where are we going to get the vinyl? Well, I got this shipment of old shoes let's melt them down and we can bring them to the pressing plant see and, they could have been called the shoes yeah i mean they actually made virgin vinyl out of actual virgins i think <laughs> they, no, i'm kidding I like um, those but, but it's kind of interesting because you talk about bootlegs today or ones from 10 years ago it was easier to find a cd pressing plant than it was a LP pressing plant because most of the LP plants were owned by the record companies. Yes, although I, so there's there was a well the very about that very early on you know late sixties you still had a lot of private 
even early 70s. Early 70s, especially in in the New York area, in the big cities. You had a lot of small labels that were operating. But the labels did sort of condense it because... If you ever notice, this is manufactured by Capital yes. Records. Oh, yeah. There's a certain yeah. payment that Capital pays itself yes. to manufacture, and they charge it to the artist. So yeah. it's something to think about and know about when you look talk about record contracts and everything else is that you're paying yourself you know, left pocket to right pocket, but it's still not leaving your pants. <laughs> There's a, a magazine on Long Island that's been around forever. Well, Good Times. Good Times Magazine. And yeah. that's been around since when? 69. Yep. Yeah. And I used to read that religiously, and in the back of that, even in like 71, there used to be ads all the time for record pressing, vinyl pressing, yes. but that was basically for bands who were trying to make right, it and, were, get, and right. get a 45 right. pressed or an album pressed. Obviously, they were right. being used for other things Sure, well, and this but was, there were a lot of them back then. Uh, of course, and this was back in the day where no one, no one was stopping you to say, could you please fill out these forms in triplicate and ensure that you actually own the copyright to yeah. this material? Can we have your fingerprints, your firstborn, an eyeball scan? Right. And we want to make sure that we are completely indemnified. Can you sign away your entire life? Can you sign this page also? telling us that, you know, if we ever get caught, we can sue you for $8 million. Thank you very much. This was just a guy walked in with a cassette tape and said, hey, Frank, can you do me a favor? Could you run 100 of these tomorrow? Yeah, okay, it's your band? Yeah, sure. Why, your band does a really convincing version of I Want to Hold Your Hand in an arena. It sounds great. (laughs) Um, But also the 45s were really cool, too. We never really touched on them. And and with Beatles... They had all of the... Uh, Deca the, recordings. The, the Decagon. Decagon was a mind-blowing advance oh. in the Beatles' bootleg world. Some clever bugger came up with the idea of taking the 15 Deca recordings and putting them out as 45s. With picture covers. With picture sleeves. Color and color vinyl. Colored vinyl on the Deca Gone label, which is very funny because these were the Deca auditions. And promos. (laughs) Yeah, and the funny thing was that it was the Coconut Telegraph at work again because we didn't know that those were the Deca recording sessions, but Beatle fan magazines and fellow Beatle fans were letting you know, wow, those things in the picture sleeves, those are the Deca auditions. And now you were suddenly hearing what the guys were doing in that studio in 1962. Yes. It was weird because the picture sleeves had the Hello Goodbye video. Oh, of course. No, I'm just yeah. saying, but, but yeah. as a young, impressionable person, when I saw Till There Was You or Besame Mucho, and there's a picture of them in their Sgt. Pepper suits, I thought they did those songs while they were doing Sgt. Pepper. How funny. Yeah, so no. I didn't really think, yeah. I'm like, wow, they sound great for Sgt. Pepper. Somehow I think it, a lot of it had to do with how much you nosed around at the respective stores. I mean, I remember being at stores here in Long Island where some of these guys were incredibly knowledgeable about what they had in their racks. So you could walk over and I could hold it up you know, and say, Andy, what the hell is this? And not his say, real name. Yeah, not his real name. Uh, Sorry, Andy. Actually, it is, man. The statute of limitations run out. Come 40 on. Years, it's 40 years later. Andy, Stores we love you. Right? Andy, wherever you are. I was going to say the other name, but he's still around. So. But no, it was really um, quite well, the amazing. Dec- the Decagon ones was also the first time that the actual Deca tapes, because there were some other releases that... Might have been guessed at being the Decca, but we're actually the BBC. And yes, you know, yes. here in America, especially, we didn't know about the Beatles' radio appearances unless you were really knowledgeable. And we even then, had we weren't no sure, clue. If you think about until it, until 83 right. when they did the Until radio 83, right. When the radio broadcast Beatles at the Beeb, 
came out. And 82 or 83? I'm 82. sorry. 82, yeah. I'm sorry, 82. And that first came out, and then all of a sudden we were made aware of, and the Beatles did 52 appearances on, what? <laughs> you know, it was kind well, of look, one of those. look, it's Andy Peebles. Thank you. It was absolutely mind-boggling yeah, that they, there were that and, many appearances, that many songs. What the hell? And that they had that many tapes. Well, we right. found out later they didn't, but they had copies of tapes taped yeah. off the radio, so. Right. I mean, we had a bootleg that came out called Yellow Matter Custard. Now, First of all, you were taking a line from I Am the Walrus, Yellow Matter yes. Custard dripping from a dead dog's eye, and you were putting a bunch of songs that obviously sounded like they were from the early 60s. Bound by Love was one of the titles. Bound which by the Love, right which is actually the, the honeymoon, honeymoon song. song, right. And you had the average Beatle fan who got a hold of some tape and we're probably going, what is this? And there's an announcer, and let's face it, the crowd probably a lot of it was okay. But the version I had said Decker audition tapes was all BBC stuff. So. Right. So for the most part, because you didn't have this international collective of knowledge, that, especially now that you have with the internet, with people right. like Clinton Halen going out and writing whole books, you know, like Bootleg, which right. is a... a Great book, which chronicles the growth of this industry. Hot Wax. For those of you who remember Hot and Wax. I, I actually had a, I bought one edition of it. I bought a few. And Hot Wax, W-A-C-K-S, was the international guide it's to bootleg recordings. It told you what they were. It showed you a thing of the cover. And you could go to the back of Rolling Stone magazine and you could request catalogs. You could send in a self-addressed stamped envelope. To companies like Going Back Enterprises and Honolulu and uh, uh, Vicky Vinyl. And you could ask for catalogs. And some of them actually had descriptions. Wasn't there one called LSR and Bell? LSR, and Lord, Bell? Lord Sitar Records. Yeah. There are the instances, too, where you'd have the same material packaged 40 well, different times. that was the times. problem. There's no honor among bootleggers. <laughs> well, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes there is for like three minutes. Oh, say, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. out this week? Okay, well, we waited. Early on, there wasn't. Early on, there wasn't. Years later, later. with the CDs, there definitely yeah, was. Definitely. And some of it wasn't necessarily a desire to be dishonorable. Some of it was because Frank and John get this tape. They have no idea what it is, but it's the Beatles live performing. And they didn't get it off of bootleg vinyl. And yeah. they're too lazy to go through all the other bootleg vinyls and they can't figure out what it is so let's just put it out and see what happens so <laughs> out comes the beatles live at nassau coliseum <laughs> now nassau coliseum is a venue here on long island that wasn't built until, until 1972, 1972. <laughs> yeah. so the beatles never did appear at nassau coliseum Go. Well, Paul and George have. Paul and George have, And yes. there was a bootleg of George. That's right, and it really was that time. <laughs> yes. What was that show that was on Live at Nassau Coliseum? What was on the bootleg? Oh, um, Nassau, I, I believe it was... Hollywood Bowl again, right? I think they redid the Hollywood Bowl again. Yeah, pretty For the 50th time. For the 50th time. I mean, literally, I think you could find 40 Probably. or 50 Well, Hollywood you got to remember, when Hollywood Bowl first came out as a bootleg, the quality of it was only a step or two below what was released. So it wasn't generation to generation to generation. I think that's why it was released so many times over the years. But, but I yeah. got to tell you something really quick about Hollywood Bowl. Yes, it wasn't bad, but we're recording this in the year 2012, and there's another recording of Hollywood Bowl out there that just surfaced, surfaced. and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I've heard it. It's actually mind-numbingly mind awesome. Mind-numbingly awesome. But I'll tell you right now, we're talking about 
1970 or whenever the first Hollywood Bowl bootleg came out to 2012, and you're still getting variations New of Hollywood of Bowl. Hollywood Bowl. It's like, it's wait still, a minute. Oh, yet another upgrade. And it's but, still, it doesn't matter. I could hear it 50 times, and right. when you hear it in the better upgrade, you're always hearing something cool, yes. such yeah. as mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I'm a little off topic here, but with the Shea Stadium, we got the audio feed, the actual line feed. Because right. we know the Beatles sweetened it up. We got the actual feet. And we'll get into all of these in different series of the bootlegs. But it is still mind-numbing that there's well, new stuff coming out 42 years later. But it's also a concern in the early releases. It, it seems to have a connection to either some sort of videotape or film or BBC stuff being taped off the radio. There weren't a lot of audience recordings. No, there the were Beatles. not. There was a couple. There were a handful. Well, that Atlanta the is Atlanta one. Atlanta was one. Right. And partly because... Philly. Philly, I'm sorry. Partly was I, just couldn't walk in with a reel-to-reel machine. Actually, they probably wouldn't stop you, but right. the quality right. would be so bad. There was um, a few years ago in, in Rolling Stone magazine, this, uh, I forgot it was, was a girl or guy, but they actually went to the Memphis show at the Mid-South Coliseum. Yeah. And they actually walked in with a reel-to-reel. No one stopped them. Oh, do you know? And this is the only tape of it. They were trying to sell it, and the guy from Rolling Stone heard it, said, well, yeah, it's an audience recording. Apple turned it down, but it was tougher to like bring in a machine, though you could. Yeah, but strap they didn't it to really... your back. It wasn't like now where you could walk in with a full digital stereo right. well, hi-fi recorder in right. your pocket. And even cassettes in 1965, 66 were only coming right. in, and they weren't for music. They were for other things. Right. But even the Beatles tried to record their own shows. And didn't really succeed. To dismal results. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah. they tried. Well, they, the, the last show in San Francisco, 66. Tony Barrow cassette recording. Yes, and that's true. That is one that exists as a, an yeah. audience. And that's actually a pretty good one because he put it like right next to the speaker. Yeah. Well, it's it's still yeah. pretty bad, but it's, it's still it's but, the best yeah. of the bunch. Yeah, yeah. and then we're, we're talking about is the Candlestick Park show right. from San Francisco. And speaking of that, we should, we should bring it up quickly that there was a boot called Last Live Show, which people thought was Candlestick Park, but... It was actually Shea Stadium again. And if you read the track listing, you know it was 65 and not 66. And even back then, it was the idea of until we had things like the um, Castleman and Podrizic books, we're talking about All Together Now and the Beatles again, which also helped to organize a lot of the bootleg stuff. It helped to clarify a lot of these things that were attributed to the Beatles. And Mitch, you brought those up earlier. Talk about a few of those. I mean, have you heard the word? Oh, yeah. Well, well, the two that everybody talked about for a long time were People Say and I'm Walking. And these were on a boot. Well, it was called Top of the Pops. And you heard these, and they sound like the Beatles. It was on one of the Renaissance Minstrels. It was on many things, Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, my version was Top of the Pops. So you got these two songs, and... They do sound like the Beatles. Yeah, especially if you play with the pitch control. Well, yeah, definitely. A little bit. If you, if if you, you had that turntable. If you had a turn, that magic turntable that had pitch control, which meant you could slightly vary the speed one way or the other. Mm. But the songs, they were very 60s sounding. They were very Beatles sounding. And everybody said, oh, my goodness, it was, you know, the Beatles. Yeah. And it really wasn't. I mean, we, we didn't find out for years later that it wasn't. But it was actually, humorously enough, a recording group named John and Paul. Yeah. Which talk about, again, the height of being obnoxious. Well, you know? I think that was purposeful. The funny part of it is these guys didn't sell any records, but Lord knows their stuff got bootlegged like crazy. I mean, they probably sold three copies well, of their 45. There, there were two other ones in the more humorous um, vein. vein. There was L.S. Bumblebee, yes. which yeah. was Peter Cook and, and Dudley, Dudley Moore. Moore. And people who didn't realize it was 
them spoofing sort of the LSD psychedelic type of rock. And they had come out after that saying that they had really were not parodying the Beatles no, just, even no, in any way, shape, or form. Just that just movement. Just that genre, yeah. yeah. But for a long time, people thought that was a Beatles thing. And then Neil Innes doing Cheese and Onions, everyone said, oh, that sounds like a Beatles song. Well, it sounded like John, Le- or well, John, John Lennon's Lennon. solo right. yeah, or something. So those were two that were thought of as funny. Right, and that recording was from Saturday Night Saturday Live. Saturday Night Live. When the, Neil, the telethon. Right, was, when he, you know, Neil actually was on as a musician. Did Shangri-La, yeah, too. Ron Nasty, the ruddle that lives in New York, <laughs> as they attributed it. But also the other one, the big one, was Have You Heard the Word, which floated around. There were actually bootlegs with the title Have You Heard the Word, using this very, like, laconic, and, and it's right there. But have you heard the word was actually... Well, Mitch's a, hands, just so people... Yeah. For those that don't know, Mitch brought a stack about eight or nine... Of the bootleg of vinyls, Of the original yeah. bootleg vinyl stuff, and, which... Yeah. It's interesting, because the one that he just was talking about with people saying, I'm walking, I have this with a different cover... But it's a glued-on piece of paper. But it's the same lineup. Hard Day's Night things we said today were from BBC. But it said live in Germany. Yes. But again, if you weren't astute on Beatle history, and back in 1970, 71, and 2, and 3, you really weren't doing the historical thing. But we didn't know about it so much. You you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. And you would think that they did a Hard Day's Night in Germany, because we didn't know about the BBC. We had no clue. But then studio sessions came out. I have volume 1 and 2. I brought in volume 2. And you didn't know what it was. There's a picture of the Beatles on the beach from Help doing Another Girl. And, and these are one color ink on well, white uh, cardboard, I'm, which well, is hysterical. Well, because it saved money. Oh, totally. But yeah. a lot of these, She Loves You, you know, She's Got the Devil in Her Heart, Anna. And all of these are from the BBC. BBC. But you wouldn't know. We had no idea. And you got things like Honey Don't, sung by John. Yeah. And you were, wow, what is this? Yeah. No one knew. Yeah, it was I mean, totally mind-blowing. Mind it blowing. really was mind-blowing. But we also got a couple of things. I don't believe C. Liebdick was on anything. I know Come Give Me Donna Ham was on something new. Something new, new yes. But, but C. Liebdick was, was not. Still... And you got it on here, and I love the way they spelled, she loves you with an apostrophe S. You know, they, <laughs> very not, not the very smart thing, right. but, but also things like Shout from the Around the Beatles, yes. which we had never heard. No, no. Which actually, there was a version that had come out on it very briefly on a cassette and it, it was called, You Never Heard Them Do This Before, Baby. And you have Murray the K yelling over it. And that version, which was actually on a semi-legitimate cassette from like a Murray the K fan club recording, was one of the things that was pirated onto a number of I think it was for the like fan club where it's him talking to the Beatles and they yes. had that at the end. And let me just quickly just mention, Have You Heard the Word actually was released in 1970. And just to clarify, those who are still looking at that and going, what was that thing? It was actually credited to a group called the FUT, F-U-T. Have you heard the word was the A-side? Futting by the FUT was the flip side. And just to give you a quick thing, it regularly appeared on Beetle Bootlegs as a long-lost recording. Two Australians, Stephen Kipner and Stephen Groves, arrived in England early in 1969 and were signed by Morris Gibb under the band name Tintin. And Tintin went on to make some really, really great albums. Morris was in movies too, by the way. Yeah, no, that was his brother Rin Tintin. Oh, yeah, that was I'm thinking a, about Tintin. Tintinabula? No, come on, Tintin? Oh, yeah, that's right, Tintin. I'm sorry. Uh, the Adventures of Tintin? I forgot Oh, about my Tintin. Lord, people. You're right. I'm thinking Rin Tintin. Basically, the thing was they got together with a bottle of Johnny Walker Red, left them too drunk to sing. So as a joke, they put on headphones 
and it was Morris Gibb, Billy Laurie, and the two Steves, and using a backing track that they were going to use for a song on the album, they recorded this crazy single, and it was not intended for release, and a recording engineer somewhere decided that this should be part of the history. It came out as a single in 1970 on Beacon Records, and fudding the B-side was totally unrelated. It had nothing to do with anything. Fudding? Fudding. But uh, T-I-N-G, yes. <laughs> so, you know, if you ever want to hear the original recording of the FUT, go to YouTube. You Not can hear really. the full, have you heard the word, in real sound quality. Just like years later, when a bootleg called 20 by 4 came out, Ooh. which had some cool things on it and some serious outfakes, which yes. is a term that you'll hear in future shows, which is something that bootleggers create and think they're going to convince us that it's an outtake. And the Beatles continued it with the anthology. And the Beatles continued with the anthology, yes. No, no, I I don't consider those outfakes. No, no, if you consider those outfakes and you consider Strawberry Fields Forever an outfake because there were two separate takes, you consider I Want You, She's So Heavy. We'll get into it in the next Because it was two separate takes. That is not an outfake. An outfake is when it's done by someone else. Well, and I guess an outfake, an outfake would be if they, they went to the told us tapes. that it was a full take, but it really wasn't. I do see what you're saying. Well, like, yes, saying. it is when they did the demo and then they flew in the, the real version on the anthology. Well, but at least they tell you. No, they didn't. Oh, that, well, they told me they in the liner, liner notes. notes. Oh, okay, but whatever. that's what I mean. In other words, the outfits were like, here's a rare version of help. And meanwhile, it's someone holding a microphone up to one speaker. Yeah, it's one speaker. You know, it's at the, the other side. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But, but 20 by 4 had some really legit stuff that we had never heard before. The Harrison and Dylan was new. We heard some of the Harrison Dylan recordings from Woodstock. That was later, wasn't it? 20 by 4? 20 by 4 was a little bit later. That was the mid-70s, late 70s that came around. Yeah. And that was more of a solo one, which was interesting because they didn't do a lot of solo. Right. Considering where they put everything together. But the funny thing about that was that you had this song called Penny O'Dell. They called it Penny O'Dell. And it was a, a really rough recording, but it was a really great track that they credited to Wings. And we played it 100 times, and you sped it up, you slowed it down, and you said, who the hell is singing? And it certainly could have been a Wings track. It was this strong kind of country-tinged thing, and it had nothing whatsoever to do with Wings. It, what apparently happened was it was recorded in the same studio that Paul had done studio work in Nashville. The tape was lying around, and somebody got the wise idea of, I wonder if this is Paul McCartney, and threw it up, and the next thing you know, it ends up on a bootleg. Really, it was a gentleman named Kenny Odell, and it was a brilliant song called Homecoming Queen. Again, go to YouTube. You'll find it. It's a brilliant song in its final version, but okay. there was on that bootleg for years and years and years. Yeah, but I, you said there was not much solo, but I have in my hands Renaissance Minstrels Volume 3, <laughs> and this is a definitely bootleg of a bootleg of a bootleg, but it had all of it was total solo. Right, but most of the time you didn't see them combined together. Right, but you know what? This had Deep Blue, Another Day, Instant Karma. The Instant Karma was the TV version. The TV version, correct. The video version. Blind Man, Happy Xmas, Bangladesh. Actually, stuff that had been released on... Right, non-LP tracks. Yeah, Yeah, which was kind of cool because you got it all in one cruddy. You want to hear a bootleg story? It's either Rolling Stone or Cream Magazine. They used to have ads in the back of the magazine for right. Right. records, you know, rare records and stuff like that. Well, that was always the tag name. You see, rare yeah. recordings. So I wrote them because I don't know who they are. You know, and I, I'm not going to send them my $8 for a record or whatever it was costing me. Back then, that was like all the money we had uh, in the world. That was, that was a lot of money for right. me at that time. 
So I wrote them a letter saying, I'm interested in buying, it was a combination of BBC stuff, uh, the Revolution promo film, and eight of the Decca songs. And they took the picture of growing up with the Beatles. Remember that sure. book? But they took out sure. growing up with the Beatles part, that picture with the rose and stuff. And I wrote them a letter saying, I'd like to buy it, but I've never heard it. If this isn't good, can I return it? I was basically asking for a return policy. And they wrote me back. How and, funny. And they wrote me back. They said, if you're not happy with anything, you just send it back to us. So well, I. Because you got to figure they were probably being a little bit careful, too. Because they, you know, it's like, oh my God, now we got this kid who doesn't know what his next thing, you know, he's going to be calling his friend's dad who works Mark. at the record company and saying, Gene, I got this record and it doesn't sound good. No. So I was real happy to hear that. So I, I sent him the $8, which included for shipping and everything. And it got sent back to me. And, you know, I got the record and I still have it, of course. And again, a little bit problem with the pitch control, but this was right after the Decagon stuff had first came out, and this was one of the copies of it, so to speak, though not all of it. So this was the first time I was hearing the, the Deca stuff, which was interesting because even now it's still not some of the best stuff the Beatles ever did, but it was different and stuff I didn't know. Now, we've hit on some of the live stuff. We've hit on BBC a little bit. Now, we'll go on in further editions of the show to talk about this will be our bait for the, the next show, but when things changed and you started to get elaborate packaging, liner notes, and as we moved into the CD Better era, quality. Much better quality. You got things like the BBC box set. Dylan stuff raised the standards with the box set called Ten of Swords. Even in the late 70s, you had the collected history and improvisations of Frank Zappa, which was a 10-album set in 1979 or 80. So... Right around that time, things started to change. The CDs came in, but we didn't touch on one really well, important well, aspect. Two things. First of all, you, you started to talk about it, didn't bring it up. In the mid-70s, it was really only in the mid-70s, some of the covers were done by legitimate artists, and the artwork was kind of had a, like a sense of humor to it. Yes. Which... It sort of disappeared, that sense of humor. You're talking about some of the uh, trademark of quality. Yeah, trademark of quality yes. covers. Yes. It wasn't just for the Beatles, but for I saw some for The Who, and there were sure. some others, too. The Pig. The Pig. Was, which is where you later you got Swingin' Pig records. Right. Corny from, Phone. And the amazing Corny Phone record label. Corny Phone always had these humorous liner notes. It had a short story on the back. It but, had a know. little bit of a, a fun thing in there, which... It's interesting because that sense of humor it disappeared a little bit because, I don't know if because prices went up or, or whatever, but it always had a little sense of humor in the middle well, I in think the 70s. There. One of the reasons why the sense of humor probably disappeared is because as the laws got tighter, because what happened was the laws got tighter first and they cracked down on the vinyl very heavily and they started to go in and bust the stores and things like that. Then as the CDs came out, what happened was you'd gotten a new medium through which music and sound could now be distributed, and there was no precedent set yet. This information about what you could or could not do in this new medium wasn't determined yet. So all of a sudden, all these guys who had been putting out the bootleg vinyl records, who were now hitting a wall because no distributors were going to touch them because now they were actually becoming illegal. Now you had people going into stores and busting those who were carrying them. You had Springsteen launching a lawsuit kind of thing. And here's a guy who said, hey, bootleggers, uh, roll up your tapes. You know. The next one's going to be good. But Bruce did actually, his mom used to go out and buy all the bootlegs. You know, his mom would go to the store the same way 
We may want to mention that I John was, Lennon... I was just going to bring that up. I have it yeah, right here. John collected bootlegs. John collected bootlegs avidly. John sent May Pang around to all the stores to go buy all the Beatle bootlegs when he saw them. And sent her to the first... First uh, Beatle convention. And yeah. she found bootlegs, but also found Jürgen Vollmer. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. pictures, of which ended up being the cover for Rock, for and, rock roll. and Roll. Yeah. So... I think she also found Aunt Mimi in the corner. That, no, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah. also, don't forget, I think the sense of humor left also because as you got on into the 70s and bootlegs became not legitimized, I'm talking about legitimized within the collective circle. the collective yeah, circles, I think they wanted to not appear as cheap. Bingo. And that's where I was going when I was saying about the legal issues, because the idea is you take away that sense of humor because... You know, with that sense of humor and with them looking goofy and, you know, I mean, the, the corny phone. Don Ho. Yeah. Come oh, on. that was brilliant. That was brilliant. That was, was one of the last Don big Ho humor. One, I the Beatles versus Don Ho was brilliant. <laughs> well, he had tiny bubbles, yeah. which Paul McCartney corny, later had. Very nice. Sorry. But with corny phone, you had handwritten liner Hand notes. Yes. And it was very obvious they were handwritten. So you had to take out the humor to some degree in order for these records to reintegrate back into the collection again and not be so obvious. Because now you had people with badges going yeah. into stores and looking for these things. If they don't stand out, again, it gives the store plausible deniability. I don't know what that was. Looked like any other imported yeah. record. But I just remember in the corny phones, you'd have things like at the bottom, it would just say something like, and remember not to get any of this on your shirt, Bula Bula. And what the hell did that mean? But it was just funny stuff that came on the bottom of the bootlegs. Also, when we move into the later 70s, early 80s, the bootlegs legitimately really forced the Beatles and other artists to release some of their stuff. And yes. we're not going to get into it now, but yes. there are A certain ones bit. like collector's items and casualties, which well, that's then became... Else. Yes, that's but it did become the Rarities album. Yes. And they were put out with gorgeous cover vinyl, gorgeous covers, and actually the labels were capital promo labels. So when you went into a store and you saw them sealed... You said, oh, my Lord, these are beautiful, and it they looked exact, gorgeous. and when you took out the record, it was no more blank label that you had to write things on. It was a capital purple label with a promo code on it, and yeah. it looked yeah. gorgeous. And that's essentially, in a way, a counterfeit. Yeah, that uh, is a counterfeit. Most that definitely. A counterfeit. There were things like Alpha Omega, which we've talked about in past shows. Alpha Omega, again, was a counterfeit, a compilation of greatest hits and things like that which we said helped to force the hand for 62 to 66 and 67, 70. Right, that came out in 1972, that Alpha Omega collection. With ads on television, too. Yeah, the most famous of the bootlegs that influenced a real release was actually two that were not the Beatles, which was the Great White Wonder stuff eventually forcing Dylan's hand to put out the, uh, uh, the basement tapes, which was his recordings with the band, and Elton John's famous 11, 17, 70 concert, which was out on 100 different bootlegs, and finally, MCA Records decided to, well, we better stop this. We're bleeding money here with people running out and buying the bootlegs of this. Let's put the darn thing out. that was good quality. Great quality because it was an FM broadcast, Correct. live broadcast. But we are leaving out an entire whole thing that we touched upon briefly, which were those godforsaken Nagra reels. Shortly after the time of the Beatles 64 at the Hollywood Bowl, we were gifted with this thing called Sweet Apple Tracks. Two record set, I believe. Two record set, which made us all go, oh, because suddenly we were hearing the Beatles in the recording studio. And for those of us who had seen Let It Be, there were little tiny bits that were in the film Let It Be, but not a whole lot of it. 
my sad part about when I got Sweet Apple Tracks is Paul playing Let It Be for like 15 minutes, trying to figure it out. Right, but to a lot of hardcore musicians, I remember at the time, many of my closest friends were all aspiring musicians. I appreciate it more now. Because Absolutely. of that. But in 1978, whenever it came out. C. Yeah. C yeah, he's called the chords. Yeah. F. Yeah. You know, C. A. It was called Let It Be, parentheses, by the numbers. It was a paint-by-numbers version of Let It Be. You heard Let It Be for 15 minutes with Paul telling the other guys the chords. Yeah. But you heard horsing around. You heard tracks that were unreleased. You heard, you heard what the was fast called version of uh, two, two of us. Of us. You heard something called Susie Parker. When you get to Susie Parker, everybody gets well done, which is the Susie's parlor. You heard stuff like them doing crazy covers. The song Tennessee, things like that. House of the Rising Sun. Shaking in the 60s. Shaking in the 60s. I mean. For all 49 seconds. Yeah, but it was surreal at that time. And this stuff was great, great quality. There was no audience screaming over it. And it's become the gift that keeps on giving. That keeps on giving. Yeah, you heard this mysterious beep every once in a while. Beep. Yeah, it's like, know. what is that? Well, what that was was that was the oh, sync. Oh, I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, but for those of you who are still wondering what the hell that was, that was the sync mark. That was basically so that you synchronized, you know, when they were working with the cameras, you synchronized the beep up to the camera. Did you care about the Let It Be stuff when you first heard it, or was it like... You know, I didn't mind it. I was disappointed by it. Me too. Because if you think of all the other ones that have come out, even the live stuff, it's full songs. And even if they weren't being played very well because they couldn't hear themselves, I was very much like, oh, at least it's a show. This is something different. Mm. But you know what? It was, how do I say this and not tick off people? Because some people love all this stuff. Me? I know. But even in the 80s and 90s, we got the CDs of 30 Days. 30 like days is one for each day. One for each day that they were in the and then they And then they came out with the one where they took the Nagra reels, A and B, so then there's the overlap. And yeah, we'll just, get into oh. that. Yeah, but, I mean, show, but, but all I'm saying is back then, it was only a couple of years after we had seen Let It Be. Right. So I wasn't as thrilled with that because it was almost still brand new. Whereas I cared about the Hollywood Bowl concert. Yeah, I, stuff. I cared more about the Hollywood Me Bowl. Me too. I didn't care about the latest stuff because I thought it was boring. Now I love it. I didn't care about Susie Parker. It wasn't released to me. I wasn't as crazy about hearing Beatles stuff that they were doing, you know, covers of others, unless it right. was like BBC right. stuff. Right, right, right. So to me, all of that was good. And I, and I had Sweet Apple Tracks and I right. played it to death. And then I got it again on cassette. A couple of them, yeah, but I didn't listen to that one as much as I did some of the others. I agree. Right. I totally right. agree. And I think that's where you start getting into, you know, there's fans and then there's people who are dissecting everything, which sort right. of we've right. become over the years. And there is a difference between, like, if you would hand someone the Hollywood Bowl concert, they would enjoy it. If, let's say oh, they weren't fans. Yeah. If you would hand them Sweet Apple Tracks, they would say, what the hell is this? Well, where it got interesting was later in the Sweet Apple Tracks type thing. We started getting stuff like, I remember one fantastic title was something called Watching Rainbows. Yeah. That was something that was a little bit better recorded. It was actually from the uh, Apple Studios, some of those recordings. But you got really nice sound quality. You got them working through an early Mean Mr. Mustard with John doing the His Sister Shirley instead of His Sister Pam. But Watching Rainbows gave you the song Watching Rainbows, which had never surfaced. You actually got real 
you know, we are working towards something on these recordings. It wasn't just as much horsing around, but there are collectors out there who specialize in just that period, really. There have been books. There have been books. Uh, Doug Sulpey. Drugs, Divorce, and a Slipping Image by and Doug Sulpey. It's now called the Get Back Book. And Ray Swihart, I think his name was. I yes, think, I, yeah. Those two did the, uh, those two books. But it really is amazing how deep one can go. Now, I'm going to just toss this out. I'm going to encourage everyone to go have fun, find cool material you've never... But I'm going to say this. Don't pay for this stuff. We well, grew up doing this. That's something... You know, well, before we get to that, one thing I would like to see with the Let It Be stuff, I would love to see... And maybe someone's done, I just haven't seen it, which could be because I tend to stay away from the Let It Be stuff. I've been looking for someone to sit down and say, okay, this is all legitimately sounding good. This is a, a real version where they're, they're all actually playing with feeling and, you know, it's not just George playing Dylan songs in the corner that we get, you know, on there are There have been some decent compilations. Where, where you, yeah. where, yeah. let's say it would be something that could be legitimately released, like different versions, not just, you know, Paul playing the piano for 20 minutes. Well, this is what we thought they were going to do with Fly on the Wall. Right. I thought it, Fly on the Wall would Let It Be Naked was actually going to be some of this bootleg stuff in, done in great quality. No, and it wasn't. It was only 20, <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> Thanks Thank for you. playing. <laughs> Never played that disc again. <laughs> no, that. But came I, I know what you're saying because what's happened in the last ten years with bootlegs is no one buys bootlegs anymore. It's all no. on the web. Yeah. We don't know where to get them. We're not going to tell you if, if we did. No, but tool around. You, you, they're really tool easy around. to find, and it's changed. And I, actually, we should say maybe say that for another show because it's totally yes, changed but the way people collect things. Hey, if you want to go back and collect some of these fun vinyls because they are wonderful to have and look at. Well, the, the Decagon stuff, yes. they're a beautiful set oh, of gorgeous. 45s. Gorgeous. Color picture sleeves with the color vinyl. Yeah. Nice to have if you want to have them. I mean, some of these early bootlegs, if they're in good shape, not like mine. Actually, you know, good a, shape. What are you talking about? They go for a lot of money. I mean, the TM. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Your stuff's in very good shape. Thank you. But I, I do have a funny story. My buddy and I, who have been friends since 1970, whatever, a lot of years, he used to collect these too. I'll never forget. And if I'm getting this wrong, you'll tell me on the side, Tom. But uh, my buddy Tom went and bought, I believe it was Hollywood Bowl, at a store, a legitimate record store in Plainview, New York. On Long Island. And he took it home and... No longer there. But anyway... There's six stores left on Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> well, this one is still there, but he went in and bought, I think, Hollywood Bowl, thought it was a legitimate release, brought it home, listened to it, said to his father, this doesn't sound that great. <laughs> his father took the album and went back to the store and said, you gave me a bad copy. I don't want this anymore. And my buddy ended up getting a Buddy Rich album, a real How album, funny. instead of the Beatle bootleg. How and my funny. buddy's one of the best drummers in the world. But I thought that was actually kind of humorous that his father actually took it back and said, you ripped us off. I know one particular collector in the Long Island area who could never afford to buy these things. So he'd go to the store, buy one, take it home, record it onto cassette, bring it back, say it was bad quality, get the money back or get something else. Go back a week later, buy something buy else, one. bring it back. So the great thing was you had those store owners who were going to take it back because it was bad quality and we knew that the store owner had caught on but he just was like whatever you know well one time i actually did return a bootleg because it's all sales final when it comes to boots and the store that's it's no longer there it was in massapequa and i knew the owner because i'd been there enough times 
And so I buy it, and it's, it's a lot of Let It Be stuff, but there's other stuff on it, too. And the quality of the pressing was so bad. It wasn't just that the tapes were like seven generations away. The pressing was bad. I felt bad bringing it back to him because I'd been there so many times. He knew who I was. I knew who he was. And I said, you know, so-and-so, th- this is a horrible, horrible pressing. And he goes, well, how do I know you didn't record it? I go, I wouldn't waste my cassette on it. That's, and he just looked at me and, and I didn't record, I did not record one bit off it because it was that bad. That bad. And that's I said, funny. I'll be glad to take store credit. And that's the only time I've ever returned a bootleg. That's and funny. God knows how many times I could have been screwed over the years and with the quality stuff. And I understood the quality wasn't going to be perfect, but this was horrible. That's very but, funny. You know, could I also add that the fun part about growing up when the bootlegs were first starting is the hunt of yes. the record. You know, the there were so the many hunt. different versions of the thrill of the hunt. When you talk to other people and they said, I have a great Hollywood Bowl, and I said, I have one too. Mine's better. Which is yours on? And then you'd have to go to the different stores because not everybody had the same stuff. And you'd have to find a different one, and then you'd find it. And, wow, I got a better. And you'd keep your other one. But then there were other stuff, like if I had Studio Sessions Volume 2, I needed Volume 1. And right. I didn't know where to find it, but this one knew where to find it, so I'd have to ask my father to drive me and you know, into Queens, and, and we're on Long Island, and we're talking 1974. For those of you who don't know, that's like a good 20-mile hike. It's, it's, and, not a, it's actually for And when people, you're 10 years old, it's... Right, you know, it seems like People forever. in Kansas City who drive like five hours to go to a football game, it's nothing to True. do that. But right. for us to drive 20 minutes into Queens, that's a lot. But it was the thrill of the hunt. And, I, and even with the Decagon, there was one store that had a bunch of them, but not all of them. Yeah, and they were like $2.99, and I had to go find them and I wanted yep. them because I didn't even like the stuff on them. I just liked the cool colored vinyl, which I hadn't seen. We really hadn't right. seen colored vinyl. I mean, we saw it in 73. They did put out, or later they put out the 62 to 66. 66 and the white album. Later and the white album. Right. And they also put out the picture disc of uh, Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper and Abbey. at 78. Yeah, but that was later on. Yeah. But it was so cool to see the colored vinyl and it sounded pretty good. Yeah. So it was still- I think it, especially when you're starting out as a fan, the time is really cool because nowadays you just go on the internet to do the hunt, as you said, to say, oh, this new one just came out. And, you know, the, as you said, the Coconut Telegraph and getting on the bus to go to certain it stores. It was, it was exciting. It, it has changed over the years. And now it's all these but young whippersnappers I, get it I'm all gonna right save, in front I'm, of them. Since we're going to do a part two on this, I am saving the session story. Yes, that was a great story. We will save that. I might have told it in another show. You did. You but, maybe but did. But it's worth telling you oh, again. Yeah. And we'll, we'll taunt our listeners with that for the yeah, next but the, but, episode. I don't know what show we talked about. <laughs> but you know what? The hunt was even there up until the people with the badges started coming in. But yes. the hunt was there, and a lot of us went to the same store in the city Almost every week. So I want to send out a shout out to the person who owned that store in the city. And, uh, <laughs> they know and who they are. They know who they are. And, uh, and, and we I'll, know who they are. And we know who they but are. You so I'll send you a link to the show, it's, old it's, friend. It's now a telephone store. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. How funny yeah. is that? <laughs> well, so that about wraps it up. And I want to thank a number of listeners who over the last few years, Fab 4 Free For All and before that Fab Forum were on the internet and doing what we do who have asked for us to start going into this series. And I, for one, am very happy that we are. This was a fun episode. And, very uh, generic. But, we'll, but it's, we'll, at the same time, think about if you, someone says Five Nights in a Judo Arena, you know exactly what they're talking about. You bet. Absolutely. If, if you back in 64 at the Hollywood Bowl, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Last live show. 
Renaissance minstrels, stuff like that. Certain generation knows what they are. Absolutely. Of Beatle fans. And certain fans who will address sometime soon, these are going to be the folks who grew up with things like unsurpassed masters so, so that is our next show that's our next show probably no, actually so, we should start off with casualties yes and, and that's where casualties and then uh, ultra rare tracks Ooh, so that's tossing names around here Ooh. anyway that about wraps it up for this episode of fab four free for all and it has not been a bootleg and it has not been but a bootleg. it could be it's like, like don't, don't show. bootleg us don't bootleg us. oh it's yeah go ahead it. do it please please counterfeit us but or counterfeit pirate us, us but do not bootleg yeah. us yeah, we'll send you the tape yeah, next <laughs> Next week, we'll hear on the air, this three guys going, Hi, my name's Mitch. Hi, I'm Rob. Hi, I'm Tony. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this is our new show called Have You Heard the Fab Four Free For All. <laughs> anyway. Oh, goodness. People say. People say. I'm <laughs> walking out of here. Around. Anyway. All right. If you'd like to make some comments, you can reach us at... You can reach us everywhere. No, you can reach us... We have a bunch of Facebook pages individually and a group Facebook page. Please don't go to the Fab for Free for All like page. We need the group page. That way we can communicate with everybody. If you go to the like page and like it and I say something, it won't go to you. Right. But if you're on the group and I put an email out, it'll go to everybody. So this way we can communicate better. And we are going to be taking down the Fab Forum Facebook page at some point. Right. So please go to the Fab for Free for All, the group one, and ask to join. So we have that. We have our individual Facebook pages. Right. We right. have the... Uh, Fab Four Free for All with Fab Number Four Free Number Four All at AOL.com if you want. We also have comments at Fab Four Free for All. Com. And you can also visit our webpage at www.fabforfreeforall.com. We're going to have a lot of new content yeah, on there soon. Yeah, there's going to be some fun new content coming in. And also, too, just to let you know, you can get each of us individually at our names, Mitch.Axelrod, Rob.Leonard, Tony.Treguardo at fabforfreeforall.com. If you've written us in past weeks and had a problem, we have had some issues with getting things together with those addresses, but we shall have that fixed. We've and had a couple of issues with audio which we know about people we are trying to fix them as yes, well absolutely but also we'd like you to uh, give us an intro we had a lot of people doing it for Fab Forum and we'd love for you to do it again because they were really fun and creative yes. and so. we want you to intro the show yeah we want you to do the header at the beginning of the show and because we're tired of it you don't have to just say you're listening to you can have fun with it and Go nuts. Uh, some folks have been very creative and uh, yeah it's it's a lot of fun we also have our individual shows Rob quickly how do we hear you I do Beatles songs every Friday from 8pm to 11pm on 90.3 FM WHPC in Garden City New York we stream at ncc.edu Slash WHPC. We're also on TuneIn.com. If you do a search for WHPC, we are there with all the other radio stations, too. And you can also hear me on 4F, Freeform at 4 Free, Monday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. on 88.1 FM in the New York area, streaming on WCWP.org. You might even hear some... <clears throat> rare Beatles on that show every once in a while. And Mitch, while not having a... Oh, I do have a show. You didn't know that? No, go ahead. What's your I show? do. It's called the Beatles Tea Party, and I take <laughs> some of my dolls, and I put them in a table setting, and I don't record it, and you can't hear it, but it's actually very fun. It's not like a right-wing Beatles show, and, right? And, no. And, 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 no, it's not a tea party. It's an actual tea party. I make tea, and I talk about the Beatles. And the laughter you hear in the background when he's doing the tea party is his wife and his kids laughing at him. That's actually all the time, not 
very nice. Dub. Dad's doing it again, isn't no. he, Mom? <laughs> yes, no. Play with his Beatle dolls. No, I do have uh, two books, but one on the Beatles, Beatle Tunes, where you can still get online, Amazon, and everything. The only book on the history of the Beatle cartoons. Correct. To this day, I don't think anybody else will do it because they didn't care enough, and nice. they can't do it because I've researched everything you can. There you go. So go back uh, and, and look at that, and you could write to me, and I'll even autograph it for you. Do it today. It devalues the book, but Very that's all nice. right. Yeah, writing all over me book. Well, that is it from us. We will see you soon as we continue this topic. And uh, for now, from Fab for Free for All, I'm Rob Leonard. And I'm Mitch Axelrod. This is Tony Giguardo saying, have a great week. We'll see you soon. Fab for Free for All was edited and produced by Tony Giguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab 4 Free-For-All website. Thanks for listening to Fab 4 Free-For-All.